See if you can see some of the points that he's making in chapter 24, verses 1 to 13. Then Joshua gathered up all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads and their judges and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served the gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plugged Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterward I brought you out. I brought, you, I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of the land when I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I deliver you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. I gave you land on which you had not labored. And cities in which you had not built, and you had lived in them, you are eating vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So he gets all the people together, and, uh, you know, he goes back and reviews their history. And as he does that, he goes all the way back to the origins of Abraham, and brings it all the way up to what he's just done in enabling them to conquer the land. And in all that, historical review, what's the point? What's the focus? God did it. Yes. I think that is the main idea. I brought, I did this, I did this. Almost every active verb, God is the subject. This, all these things were by the grace of God, not by human effort and strength. And, and that's an important point for us as well, because it's easy for us to begin to think of our blessings as our self-achievements. You know, I did this, I did this, where really God ought to be the subject of the verbs in our life as well. So you look back to Abraham, and God took him from beyond the river, led him through the land of Canaan, multiplied his descendants. He gave Jacob and Esau. He gave... Mount Seir to Esau, but Jacob went down to Egypt. Took Jacob longer to gain his inheritance than did Esau. Didn't mean that God was uh, blessing Esau more, certainly, but it took him longer. But then he sent Moses and Aaron, and he plagued Egypt and brought them out and uh, through the Red Sea, and uh, 
he brought them into the land of the Amorites and they conquered them and, and God was with them even when there were threats they didn't know about at the time like Balak's efforts to try to get Balaam to curse the Israelites as far as I know when that was really happening Israel didn't even know about it you know there are times when there may be things we don't even realize that people are doing to try to defeat us, but God was with them in that. They didn't need to know about it. God, God was, they could count on God. And, and so God had uh, reversed the, the curse and made it a blessing. And uh, he gave them the land. And uh, he gave them all of this ready-to-live-in land. You know, the vineyards and the farms were all ready and the houses were all ready and everything was all just uh, fit for them. This was all because of what God had done. And notice that as you go through this section, we start out in third person, we finally end up in second person. You know, what God did for them, finally, is what God does for you. They are the ones who are the beneficiaries. And finally, at the end, is what God did for us, as uh, Joshua includes himself in that. Um, And so... You know, notice passages like verse 12. I think this is helpful. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. That's just making explicit what we've already figured out. They aren't the ones that gave themselves the victory. Did they have swords? Yes. Did they have bows? Was that the reason they gained the victory? No. God is the reason they gained the victory. Don't get to thinking... It's by our sword or our bow. You know, we so often see some, you know, little scheme we've conjured up and we think, wow, look at what I'm doing. Isn't this amazing? You know that story I've heard Paul Earnhardt tell, I have no idea where this came from, of the uh, mouse riding on the elephant's back across the covered bridge and they get to the other side and the mouse whispers in the elephant's ear, we sure did shake that thing, didn't we, big buddy? <laughs> well, is that kind of the way we feel about this? <laughs> uh, Mouse probably didn't have a whole lot to do with that shaking. Uh, but, he, you know, it's easy to want to take the credit. You know, he didn't have a whole lot to do with all the victories and deliverance and success that, that we've been given. But if we're not careful, we start, you know, bowing down before the sword and the bow. And uh, maybe promoting the sword and bow. You know, we need a sword and bow religion. Look at what the sword and bow did for us, instead of look at what the Lord is doing for us. That's just a common problem. It's not surprising that Joshua really nails that here, because he knows that's what their tendency is going to be, to think it's their sword and the bow, and not to realize it's the Lord. The Lord is more invisible. You can see the sword and the bow. But the sword and the bow aren't nearly as important as the Lord. Thoughts and comments? Verse 7, why does it switch um, con- the, what's the word? It switches from saying I to he. And then it's by the end of verse um, 7, it switches back. Yeah. I. So why does it switch? I don't know. But we do that sometimes. I think it has to do with the the who who Joshua's saying is talking. Because I know in um, uh in verse 8, it says, And I brought you into the land of the authorities. But there is an apostrophe, which is a quotation mark inside a quotation mark. So I think it's I think it's actually Joshua trying to quote the Lord. 
or quoting what saying here's what the Lord is saying to you I did this I did this sure. in other ways I was just wondering why it switched back it, it's pretty common in the prophets to have that where the prophet will be speaking and then it's sort of God speaking and then it's the prophet speaking and then it's like I can't tell whether this is the prophet or God as God sort of using the prophet and so I don't know how to account for that other than that God's God's speech is coming out so much sometimes he speaks in the first person and sometimes it's more Joshua telling what God says even even as he oscillates back and forth so we're talking about at the beginning of verse 7 but when they cried out to the Lord he put darkness between you and the Egyptians that mm-hmm. he yes this is kind of a weird question but is um, which part of the Godhead was acting there if you if you see where I'm going with the question, uh, I'm not sure where you're going with the question, but I don't know the answer. Okay, because I mean sometimes if 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 Jesus were talking about what the Spirit is going to be doing, he'd refer to it as he will do this, he will be a comforter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if he's talking about himself or God as a unit, it would be I or we. I didn't know if that was. I mean, you're right about that, but I don't know that that's the point here. I'm suspecting when he says he put darkness, it's kind of in Joshua's terms, speaking about the Lord, and then the Lord, but, but, and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Uh, I think God's kind of taking the pen back right there. um, The Psalms do that a lot, with the Lord speaking and saying, you know, I, 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 and, and they cried out to me. No, they cried out to the Lord, and He. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but it's very common. Yeah. But yeah, I almost think it's kind of a quote. He gets to that point. I brought your fathers out, and here's what they said. They said they cried out to the Lord. That's kind of quoting what they did. They cried out to the Lord, and He answered them right. kind of with a quote within a quote kind of like what Joan was saying is uh, you know where else one way to explain it you know where else you see that our songs do that a lot there are songs that will kind of flip back and forth between talking to the Lord and talking about the Lord that is a, just a more common thing to do I think in, in a poetic kind of a sense you know there are times that you have to really look at the song to even realize that's what you've done. You don't think about it that much. It seems kind of natural. Well, people do that all the time in our worship service. You know, we, they get up and, and start a prayer, praying to God and say, thank you for this Lord's Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, well, and, I mean, thank you for your day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we will. We do that kind of stuff all the time, going back and forth between and God and the second person, God and the third person. The You're Lord right. Supper. Yeah, I hear that a lot in, in prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's just more natural, you know. And so sometimes you'll do it or you'll read it in the Bible and it won't even dawn on you. Right. Because it's natural. But when you actually look at it, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that is uh, kind of a shift. So I don't, I don't have a good answer for it, other than God is just speaking so much through Joshua that sometimes it's just God's voice and sometimes it's Joshua speaking about God. Good question. Other thoughts? There was um, something, I just, again, I wanted to kind of pull it into um, how it can apply to us um, 
when when we see that how God was with them throughout the the conquering of the land, and we see how God is saying, "I did this, I did this, I did this." We know that not every battle was like Jericho, where they did nothing and God just went and you won. Right. There were, and we know of some other battles that were like that, but for the most part, God was the one basically leading the army and telling them how to do things. And so, um, when He says that, likewise today, God isn't just going to be doing things for us. There's so much that we have to do also, and I feel like some, like I know personally for me, I've gotten this uh, this from people where I, if I were to say, you know, praise the Lord for this, or you know, it's by God's. It's by God that I that I did this. So then this happened. They go, no, you got this job, or you earned this because of your hard work. And I go, well, I did something, but what I did did not earn that. Or what I did, it was an opportunity that God gave me. I go farther back than myself, and for some reason, the world will see that and go, you're giving too much credit somewhere else, and you need to give yourself a bit more credit. And that's kind of what Joshua warns them against, is that don't give yourself too much credit. Yes, there are things that you have to do. God wants you to do things. But it's not by your actions that you're going to be accomplishing the conquering of this land, the salvation of your own souls. I'm doing that. And it's it's really... It, and it's amazing how readily we take that credit. I mean, remember, that's the point of uh, the story of Gideon, in part. God was afraid that, outnumbered four to one, they would take the credit to themselves. He was afraid that, outnumbered thirteen and a half to one, they'd take the credit for themselves. He gets it down to four hundred and some to one, and after the battle's won... And what did they do? <laughs> they say, Gideon, you be our king! Because you're the one who gained the victory. <laughs> it's like, whoa. I mean, what are you going to have to do, you know, to get the point across, it's really not Gideon, it's really God. Especially with, like, even with that battle, after the battle that they won, or God won for them, they didn't do anything. They smashed well, they, the pots and went, they, they ah! shouted. And then they watched them all destroy each other. Yeah. And it's like... And they smashed those pots really well, though. <laughs> right. And they blew those trumpets really hard. Right. Not not right. No, they're all harmonizing perfectly. Yeah. Not only did Gideon's tribe want to make him king, or think that he did it, the rest of them thought he did it too because they were mad at him for you're doing right. it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can't get over this focus on men. I guess he could have gone that, but there by himself, and he would have still gotten credit if he had walked in. Yep, I think so. So where's Mount Seir? In Edom. Don't ask me where in Edom. Okay. I don't know the answer. So they kind of went across the peninsula there and settled? Right. Yeah, Mount Seir is often a, uh, used as kind of a substitute for Edom because it was in Edom, but I don't know where in Edom. Okay. And was there any history with Terra that we know? I mean, it even mentions here, you know, they served other gods. Mm -hmm. We get that point a couple of times, but no, I, I mean, you Abraham know, out of got his genealogy, but other than that, I don't think we really know much of these snatches of references. Right, there wasn't any, uh, you know, there's some, through the genealogies, the ones that served the Lord or called upon the name of the Lord. And, but at this point, we don't have any idea. I don't think we do. 
they were doing there. Yeah. Other thoughts? So who knows what the Lord does for us today that we don't, you know, that's not recorded, you know, that we don't ever find out, just like they didn't find out. Absolutely. Yeah. How many Balaams is the Lord uh, thwarting and we'll never know? You know, that's a cool thing to think about. I mean, it could be that the Lord is doing all kinds of things and averting some disasters and crises and whatever, and we'll never know. Because we didn't know it was there. Kind of like, you could think, um, what if we were supposed to get in a car accident? Or what if we could have gotten in a car accident? And God told a squirrel to run across the road and it stopped another car. Yep. And, and in doing so, we didn't get hit by that car because that car had to stop. Yeah. Or something. And we, we may never know if something crazy like that is going on, but, you know. Wouldn't be any crazier than a talking talking donkey, <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that what happened to Daniel? Like, didn't the angel go to Daniel and be like, "I just came from like stopping a war between two countries or something"? Well, yeah, he was in the middle of or in the, the middle. Action, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what he did, but he yeah. was like doing something. Yeah, he was detained <laughs> by the conflict. Sorry, I was late. I was busy doing some other stuff. Well, <laughs> I'm here now. It's okay. <clears throat> Alright, um, well, 14 to 24. <clears throat> now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. For if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorite, in, who, <clears throat> in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our very sight, and preserved us in the way that we went, <clears throat> and among all the people uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out for us, uh, before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. This is a, a real challenge on the part of Joshua here. Challenging them to fear the Lord and serve him and put away the other gods. Now they have to make that choice. This is the, you know, kind of the... the decision that faces them. He says, choose for yourselves. Now they've got options. Look at all the gods they could serve. They could serve the gods of their ancestors, like Terah and those guys back over in Mesopotamia. They could serve the gods of, of Egypt, where they'd come from. They could serve the gods of the uh, Amorites and the people who lived in the land. Those are all options for them. But Joshua makes it clear as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I appreciate Joshua as a leader 
being willing to um, lead. We have leaders that take polls and decide how they're going to, quote, lead by following what the people want. So we, you know, we try to keep everybody happy, you know, try to, try to please everybody. It didn't matter to Joshua whether people liked it or not. They were going to serve God. And he was able to bring his family with him in that. Uh, perhaps indicates he was a man of character whose family was willing to follow his leadership in serving the Lord. Um, if we're just trying to please people, we will never lead them to do what's right. We will just end up following them to do whatever it is they want us to do. That's, that's our, our, our danger, really. So he says, whatever you decide, here's what we're going to do. But what do the people say? Far be it from us that we would do anything different than what you're doing. We will serve God. You know, the Lord's our God. He's the one who's done all these things. He's driven out all the peoples. We don't want the other gods. We will serve the Lord our God. Isn't that awesome? You know, you take Joshua, who takes the lead, and they follow him. Yes, absolutely. The Lord is our God. He's our only God. We want to serve him. And, and, and can't you imagine how that would feel if you were Joshua? You have led them into the land. The Lord has conquered the land. You've shown them the way. You've taken the front. You and your family are committed. And they say, we are too. And what does Joshua say? He knows them too well. He says, you're not able to do this. God is a holy God. He's jealous. He's not going to forgive you. And you're going to forsake him. And he's going to have to bring his wrath upon you. So, Wow. Here they go and they make this strong commitment and Joshua rejects it. Joshua says, oh, you can't. You won't. You know, we, we are sometimes too quick to believe some bold affirmation that somebody makes. Well, I'm going to do the right thing. Are we? You know, it's easy to make the bold affirmation. It's another thing to really do it. And Joshua says, you're not. You won't. And that's kind of shocking when he says it that way. Um, and he said, you know, um, he, he's a jealous God. You know, he'll consume you when you serve foreign gods. And what do the people say? They say, no, but we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord! I'm not sure what they're saying no to. Exactly, other than... Well, no, we're not going to forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. You know, I think they're saying no to, to that other option. They're saying we will serve God. Joshua said, okay, you are witnesses against yourself. You have committed yourself. You have made a, a commitment to God that this is what you're going to do. Um, so they say we're witnesses. We're, absolutely. We are committed. We will do this. If they don't, their own words will condemn them. They have committed themselves. You know, there are some really good things about commitment, verbal commitment, but there are some things about verbal commitment that are not overly helpful. Because sometimes just committing ourselves in words makes us feel better. But it doesn't make us do better necessarily. 
you know, when I work with, with guys who are struggling with sin issues, I, I see a lot of guys who, they want to tell me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, sir, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. That's easy to that's easy to commit to. It's easy to say that, and they feel so much better when they say that. But but the follow through is the challenge. You know, just saying what I'm going to do really doesn't mean as much as saying what I have done. That's really what we've got to concentrate on. And uh, well, Joshua says, okay, uh, here's a place to start. Verse twenty three: Put away the foreign gods which are in your midst. <laughs> Now, if you're really saying you're not going to serve these gods, then get rid of them. And they say, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey His voice. This is like the fourth time they have committed themselves to that. So they're certainly good on talking about it. But, but Joshua says, all right, you know, get down to business. Throw out those gods. If you're not going to worship them, why have you got them in your house? It's kind of like an uh, alcoholic saying... I'm not going to drink anymore. And they still got all the beers in their fridge, and they don't. They don't go and take them out and throw them out or anything like that. They're just sitting there. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And they're like the person they're studying with, it goes, "Well, you just said you're going to stop and you're going to stop drinking them. Then why haven't you gotten up to go throw them out of your fridge yet?" Makes you wonder what foreign gods and beers we still have in our refrigerator that we need to get rid of. You know, if we're really so determined to serve God, are there some practical steps we need to take now to get rid of whatever it is that's messing us up? It's a good, it's a good thing to think about. It, you know, you realize Joshua, I mean, that's a pretty challenging, you know, reply. You know, he's really, okay, <laughs> then what about this? I really appreciate him in that. It's encouraging. Thoughts and comments. They, uh, through the whole time in the wilderness, they've been <laughs> up and down and, you know, back mostly right. down. Yeah, right. It just seems odd that here they're just, oh, yeah, you know, this is, this is the only way. And they've heard these same arguments before. This is the God that did all these things, led you out of Egypt, and it's a... Didn't seem to matter when they got thirsty and when they tried to oust Moses and when they got hungry and when they <laughs> so yeah it's, yeah seems maybe a little insincere I don't know it's interesting that in in verse seventeen when they're you know saying this oh we're going to do this they talk about this personal relationship that they have he who brought us out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great sights in our sight and preserved us. It's They're saying, they're talking about themselves, perhaps. I mean, I know that the tradition, the tradition <coughs> among the Jews today is to use that language in, in the Passover Seder and everything, you know. This is what he did for me and me and the individual me and not. So that's a good thing to think, but then you keep going, you go, okay, are you sure that's what you really mean? <coughs> Sometimes we can be semi-sincere. At the moment, we have a great wave of emotion and feeling for God. And so we feel a very strong sense of commitment. But 
you know, if the commitment is just that I feel really inclined to serve God right now, and that's all it is, it's not going to be worth anything. There has to be more than a feeling. Because sometimes I won't feel that. But I still have to serve it. Whether I feel that emotional tie or not. Anything? Sorry. So uh, when we're in that emotional standpoint of I feel like doing it, but you know that later on that might not be the case, how do you go about solving the later on as opposed to just the feeling right then and making a commitment? Well, throwing out the house at Wilde's would be a good place to start. You know, and, and I think then building things that make your commitment more solid. Not just relying on the wave of emotion, but what are things you can do to deepen your commitment, your conviction, to deepen your roots, to really build solidly, you know, because if we just are reliant on that wave of emotion, it won't work. If we can use that to really start, um, you know, digging the foundation and, and, and really um, getting a, a strong, um, uh, I don't know, basis for our commitment to God. I think that would help. Also, the, um, something like, because in that wave of emotion, you're thinking, I'll never do this again. Right. And, and you think, you know, okay, 30 years from now, I will not be doing this sin. But you need to be living one day at a time. Today, I'm not doing this. Today, I'm not doing this. Tomorrow, don't say tomorrow, I'm not doing this. Say today, I'm not doing this. Absolutely, because when I say I will not do this for the next 30 years, I am enjoying the feeling that I'm going to be clean for 30 years already. And, well, I can't get that for 30 years. I need to focus on one day at a time. I serve God today. Do the right thing today. I think that's much more effective than just making this rash commitment. You know, I've never gone for 30 days and I'm going to commit to 30 years. Do it a day at a time. Well, 25 to 33. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. It came about after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being one hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnasera, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, on the north of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. And Eleazar the son of Aaron died, and they buried him at Gibeah of Phinehas his son, 
which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. So, Joshua died. Uh, he's 110 years old. Who else died at 110? Joseph. Joseph, very good. And he is called the servant of the Lord. The first verse of Joshua calls Moses the servant of the Lord. So here at the end, Joshua gets the same commendatory uh, phrase that Moses had. That's pretty impressive. And he died and was buried. And uh, they Israel served God the days of Joshua. And day, the days of the elders who survived Joshua. That, that generation, those people that were living then you know, were able to keep the people faithful that long. They also uh, buried the bones of Joseph. Remember, they had uh, carried them up from Egypt with them like Joseph had asked them to, and so he is buried. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, dies, and he's buried. So you've got three deaths, or three burials, I should say, right here at the end of this, (laughs) that is kind of symbolizing the end of an era. When Joshua, Eleazar, and Joseph's bones are buried, we're kind of on to a new phase, you know, and that's the problem sometimes. You know, the new generation sometimes doesn't have the same commitment, the same depth of relationship with God that the previous generation did, and that's a problem. Comments and questions? Is there any significance in verse 25 and that they made the covenant in Shechem? Which, that's the same place that they had, like, the curses on either side, right? The curses on one side and the blessings on the other? That's correct. So is there significance, in, again, at the end of, uh, after Moses ended his life like that, and then Joshua ended his life like that? Maybe so. I hadn't thought about that, but that may be. And uh, certainly he's got that stone that's the witness. The stone has heard what they've said, <laughs> so the stone is going to be a witness. Shechem is a very, you know, a centrally located city, and has had many important things. So, you know, if, if they want to find a place to put a witness stone that's going to remind them of their commitment, what a better place to check it. Do you ever time to think about them carrying those bones, it just, just, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> Can you imagine this poor guy has been carrying this bag of bones around for <laughs> how many years? All through the wilderness. and <laughs> It should be pretty well dried out by now. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It rattles every time. <laughs> I thought he was in like a, one of those. So they get in the, the sarcophagus. Yeah, they've been in some yeah. pretty <laughs> rough situations, and I can see him now during some of the fouls. Where's the bones? <laughs> 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 Who's got the bones? Who lo- did you guys lose the bones? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I don't know how all that was. House. <laughs> But they did. That, that's amazing. They kept them this long. Yeah, they couldn't keep anything else <laughs> in our roof. So when they wandered through the wilderness, you know, the guy that brought them died. Right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> hand them off. Yeah, that's right. It's like, what's this? Unless well, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Uncle Joey's bones. <laughs> yeah. And you want me to carry them where? Yeah. And this is where you're gonna bury them. Very good. Anything else? All right, well, that's Joshua. That was a pretty good uh, study, and we'll work on this again sometime in the fall. For now, I'm not going to be home.